What's up, friends and family? It's time for another episode of Highlights My Superpower. I'm one of your hosts, Steve Storman, in Brooklyn, New York, and joining me via the miracles of modern technology, it's my good buddy, Will Freeland. Will, how is it going? Hi, I'm good. I'm I'm doing good. <laughs> I'm really tired. I almost fell asleep like 10 minutes before we were shooting our show. I talked about the YMCA opened up and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I've just been going there three or four days a week and getting some good runs in. So like my body is like still kind of adjusting to this whole active lifestyle thing. Yeah. It's been good. It's been good. I'm just tired. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. I also had an abnormal night's sleep last night in a good way and that I Went to bed at a reasonable hour and woke up in the actual early morning. But what tired me out was was socializing. <laughs> I went. <laughs> Listeners of this show know we're both obsessed with Magic the Gathering. And I spent all day playing paper magic in person with actual humans for the first mm. time in a very long time yesterday. And awesome. it was wonderful. I also got to play my favorite format in the entire world. Uh, which draft. is vintage cube vintage oh, cube. vintage cube oh my yeah. goodness wow yeah. cool got a got a buddy out here who has a, a paper cube all the power and all the you know super expensive stuff is is proxy but yeah a lot of fun and you know exhausting to like be around people and talk and like meet yeah, strangers and stuff you're like holy crap this is like yeah the social batteries have reduced down to triple a no kidding yeah absolutely but you're just like so excited to see people like, oh, my God, <laughs> right about everything. <laughs> Wait, you, you're not a you're not a hologram. What yeah, is, you're not a floating face on, on Zoom. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, I had my first board meeting in person for the first time since COVID uh, yeah. on Thursday. It's so strange. Oh, man. Well, anything else you want to hit before we get started talking about the comic books? No, I am excited for our future. We have these superhero ethics guys. They're they're a lot of fun to That's just right. get lost in um, super random conversations in our Facebook chats. We, honestly, if we just got an AI to read our chats, we would have a few episodes of podcasts just done. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, just like small hint towards the listeners that aren't Matthew and Paul will be uh <laughs> doing some podcasts together pretty soon yeah um, I think we've got one scheduled for next week yeah uh, talk about let's tease Daredevil it a little stuff. bit more yeah we're talking about Daredevil yeah. Yeah. we all have a lot to say about Daredevil apparently I'm, judging I'm from the group chat. <laughs> I know, seriously I'm really excited about that yeah it's it's uh we're gonna be expanding our audience we're gonna have some more people up on here we'll probably be able to host on both of our pods and I'm excited to get more people involved in our little nerdy conversations. Hell yeah, man. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm also very, very stoked. So what did you read this week? What do, what do you... What I, I know we I... say this every week, but we have a lot to go through. I know. I only read three books. I, I have so much, so many random topics in my head from just these three books. Yeah, so... I have the entire Operation Zero Tolerance crossover and yeah. also mixed in with that was the trial of gambit i might hold that back until next mm. week because uh, i have a lot to say about <laughs> ozt okay well maybe we'll push don back to two weeks from now no no do giant no. size volume three no in two let's, weeks let's let's want to on effects oh my god <laughs> okay <laughs> okay so i read a one shot of Arrow and Swordmaster. Arrow and Swordmaster are two people that got created by, I think it's for Marvel Future Fight. Regardless, they're from a Marvel property game. They're introducing it 
into 616. So far, all of the new people that they've brought in have been on the newest version of the Agents of Atlas, Mm -hmm. who are led by Jimmy Woo. For people who have watched WandaVision or MCU stuff, Jimmy Woo has a much more active role in the (laughs) comics. (laughs) But the fact that we have a Jimmy Woo in MCU is exciting. So um, to Aaron Swordmaster, I have a few thoughts on that. I read Fantastic Four Volume 5 by Dan Slott. I wasn't looking forward to it because it's talking about a planet 44 light years away. Right. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> all the alliteration, all of the fours. Yeah. And I was like, oh, geez. <laughs> it ended up being, to, it was better than I thought it was going to be. It contradicted something that I've read in the past. And so that was a little bit of a bummer, but there is a way to make it work. Yeah. And it was generally overall interesting. And then Scream Volume 1, which takes place right after Absolute Carnage, because Scream, the symbiote, used to be on Donna Diego, and then she died during Maximum Carnage. Sure. And we haven't really seen the Scream symbiote since then. And Donna was revived in Absolute Carnage. And then the symbiote jumped from Donna onto Andy Benton, who is a new character who got introduced during Flash Thompson's time as Venom. Okay. (laughs) Flash Thompson shared some of his Venom symbiote with Andy and she became Mania. And so she started becoming a character in her own right. Now she has a Scream symbiote and there's some... And semi-interesting stuff going on there. So those are the three that I read. Yeah. Should we just get into it? Let's get into it. All right. So Arrow and Swordmaster. Arrow parts one through six and Swordmaster parts one through six. There are basically one issue was three parts. Uh, Okay. So it was really only four issues. Oh, okay. okay. As far as the story is concerned, Arrow, this takes place after uh, War of the Realms. War of the Realms is where we see the new Agents of Atlas's debut. They primarily are off fighting Cinder and her fire demons from Muspelheim. And so this takes place, both of these stories take place right after that. All of the characters that got created by Future Fight are Asian descent. Mm-hmm. Wave is Filipina. Arrow is she's Chinese, and she's an architect by day, mm-hmm. and Arrow by night. And she and Wave kind of have a team up where we actually spend more time going into Wave's backstory than we do Arrow, primarily because Arrow has her own book also. So both Arrow and Swordmaster both have their own books. There's no reason to do this one shot of Arrow and Swordmaster, but whatever. So so they use Arrow to dive into Wave and Wave, she controls water. She can breathe underwater. She's basically your stereotypical water controller, like the water part of Crystal (laughs) or Hydro Man. Hydro Man can turn into water, but Arrow is that, but with air. And uh, to the point where like, they have like the connection to the air of just like, there's a disturbance in the air current kind of a thing. Yeah, Disturbance in the water currents. So that's how they track things like that kind of like in touch. Mm -hmm. It's like, none of them are learning how to use their powers. They already have their powers. They've been established, they're heroes. Okay. So now it's like, we're spending time trying to understand like their motives, basically where they're Mm. coming from. And so we go into Wave's backstory and she is your classic Roxxon type corporation is doing human experiments to try to create the next 
quote unquote super soldier, not actual super soldier, but like right. super person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All kinds of experiments don't go right. Wave is a successful experiment and then she gets out. Kind right. of thing. <laughs> yeah, classic. <laughs> she... Do these take place in China and the Philippines respectively or is so is yeah, this, this is... in America? This is taking place in the in um, the Philippines. Oh, primarily. that's interesting to me. Yeah. And so the Philippines also have a premier superhero team called the Triumph Division. None of them have distinctive powers or anything like that. There's no one to really write home about. Yeah. Uh, but they're led by this guy, Red Feather, who has like your flight, super strength, all about honor. He fights for his country, blah, 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 blah. So Wave gets her powers from this group called Elon Tech, who is basically your Roxxon, your um, Hammer Tech, your Hammer Industries, your Stark Industries. Sure, you know, yep. No-name corporation. And they are trying to create people who can breathe underwater because they want to fight these mer people hmm. they're called the sirenas okay. sirens in spanish basically okay um not the and... lemurians not the atlanteans no okay. no okay. <laughs> and so like they look much more like the sea monkeys of like cartoons that you'd see. yeah and it's at this point where i'm starting to get in the back of my head of the point that i was going to make of timing on introducing new characters is important so so i wonder sorry i just wonder how much of this is really actually intended for the american audience right well so and that's the thing so as you learn more and more as we go on these people you come to find out have a long-standing apparently uh rivalry against the atlanteans atlanteans try to stump them out all the time and it ends with namor being like we need to get wave like oh because okay. Wave is another human that can breathe underwater. And right. Amor is half human, half half Atlantean. He can breathe sure. underwater, blah, blah, blah. So it does cross. Yeah. Now we've shoehorned in. There's an Atlantean connection. And so we're going to bring in Namor. Yeah, I yeah. don't understand why they had to introduce a whole new sea people. <laughs> sure. When we have Lemurians and Atlanteans. They already have, like, just within Namor... We've already been introduced to like, they have multiple kingdoms, they have multiple Mm -hmm. rivalries, they have offshoots of Atlanteans that have nothing to do with Namor anymore. Like, there's stuff that you can pick from to like use here, but (laughs) like, I feel almost bad for the authors are like, here's a person, introduce them, you can't use anything that already exists. Yeah. Because that's what it feels like. Yeah. Like, and it's the same with Arrow and her book. Her antagonist was made up for Arrow. Her story all takes place in China. And so you you wouldn't expect your random New York-based villain to right. be involved. But like they, Marvel spends so much time making the world feel small. Mm-hmm. And then when you introduce these other characters, they're just like, well, none of that's going to cross over here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, that just goes to my question of like, how much of this really is meant for this sort of like, I can imagine that these are characters that were introduced to sell in China and in the Philippines and like, yeah. you know, establish a foothold for like, cause the Philippines is comics crazy. Like so many artists come out of the Philippines mm-hmm. and yeah, I could really imagine Marvel saying, listen, we want to start fresh. We don't want to 
tie in like continuity that will bog anything down cameos at the most and just go ahead and do a standard hero story and you know set it in the country Mm. respectively and just do a do a thing i don't know i could be way off base here Maybe. I don't know. I mean, yeah, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. But it also makes me curious if anything distinctly culturally or plot wise, Mm. Chinese or Filipino came up in these. That's a good question. (laughs) Get somebody with these actual cultural backgrounds. Yeah. Go read, take a look and and let us know. Uh, Yeah. So same kind of thing there could be something that i'm just missing with Swordmaster. so in Swordmaster volume one we get his origin story where his father disappeared he leaves him a puzzle oh he's a master puzzler um like that's kind of his thing uh, his father disappeared left him a puzzle he unlocks the puzzle which gives him this sword and that's his only connection to his dad and then this other girl shows up and she has another weapon and they are like these legendary weapons and there's like three of them they all have like this prophecy and they have to save the world from being destroyed yada 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 sure um we're in weird to do the sword master in agents of atlas he is being trained by shang chi in how to fight because he doesn't have any actual skill he just has a sharp blade that he tries to cut things with Right. So when we get to the Swordmaster here, Shang-Chi is currently training him also. So I don't know where the cut is from volume one of Swordmaster to Agents of Atlas, Swordmaster, and this title, Swordmaster. Right. But it is what it is. Not a big deal. So what we come across here is Ares, Greek god of war, shows up <laughs> oh, and okay. wants to steal the sword to try to harness its abilities. Yeah. That doesn't hold out. He takes it to this guy, or garb who is an exiled master smith of nidavalir so now we're mixing in norse dwarves just the full Uh, potpourri let's go mm -hmm. so it brings them in to be like okay i understand i can't harness the magic in the sword but like break it down and like let's make something else out of it and this and the dwarf is like yeah it's unbreakable i can't do it so shang chi and sword master show to try to take the back and they're like ugh, this is obnoxious and then (laughs) so we know about Ares' son, Phobos, the, yeah. the, the Greek god of fear. Yeah. He has another son, Ismenios. In Greek mythology, it's like Ismenios, Charles or something. <laughs> Ismenios is the guard of the sacred fleece, the ram fleece. That, oh, um, okay. Jason the Argonauts. Um, that Jason yeah, goes and yeah. gets. So that dragon is also Ares' son, and the dragon has been taken, being controlled by Davi Naka, mother goddess of Madripoor. Cool. Not Seems like it, a very religious place, very spiritually grounded. Oh, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. So Ares is trying to attack her to save his son. The dragon is Menios. Turns out that she was protecting Ismenios because Ismenios found a stash of gold and he hoarded it. And then he pissed off the people who own the gold. Turns out the people who own the gold were Atlantis. Sure. So. Full circle. <laughs> exactly. So the goddess rescued him. So she was holding on to him and Ares didn't know. And then they went to go and fight us. So now the three of them, the four of them have teamed up because Atlantis is going to attack soon. So both Arrow and Swordmaster end with to be continued in Atlantis attacks. So 
Namor is apparently going to be involved in these. So interesting. Felt a little forced, but whatever. Sure. It kind of works. We'll see. Namor yeah. is doing his own thing. He's declared war against the surface world again. Okay. And go and it happens he, every couple of years. Yeah. But he's <laughs> like created his own cabal, an all sea themed cabal to like terrorize any and all water operations. So he's been destroying like every single oil tanker ever and all this stuff. So it's a little force, but we'll see what happens in Atlantis attacks. We'll see if those two combine. Sure. My other takeaway from this is I currently play Marvel Strike Force. Right. And and they just got the okay to make their own character as well. Yeah. So they just introduced her. Her name is Kestrel. Technically, now there's two Kestrels in, in 616, but whatever. It's not a big deal. I already forget her real name, but she is the head of Strike. In Marvel Strike Force, S.H.I.E.L.D. has created Strike, which okay. uh, Another is, convoluted acronym. Yes, and I don't remember what it is, but it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Uh, but it's basically Strike is... So the way that S.W.O.R.D. keeps an eye on other planets, oh, Strike... Sure. Strike keeps an eye on other realities and oh, parallel oh, cool. worlds. Okay, 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 sweet. Yeah, so it work. It works. So within within their thing, it works because that's how they explain like Spider Man being able to fight Spider Man is it's a Spider Man from different reality kind of thing. Yeah. So cool, whatever. Going with it. It's headed up by Nick Fury, the Black Nick Fury that we all know, uh, well that people know now, and in their story campaign where they introduce her, she got. On the first successful portal opening that they made, she got lost in another reality. She She's tech, and when they bring her back finally, she has like a portal gun that connects to other realities, yada, yada. Okay, fine. She was a founding member with Nick Fury. This is where it falls short with me, hmm. bringing her in, because okay. this is Nick Fury Jr., Black Nick right. Fury. He's technically right. half Black, but whatever. Whatever. Um, Half Black Nick Fury, he's only been a part of S.H.I.E.L.D. for a few years. Like, he got introduced uh, uh, around Fear, Fear itself. itself. Okay. Yeah, it was around Fear Itself. So this is, like, 2009, 2010. Okay. Uh, and then they came out with his origin story called Battle Scars. So he has no connection to S.H.I.E.L.D., <laughs> is my point. <laughs> he he sure. was given a position of power by Maria Hill when he got recruited, but primarily sure. because of like nepotism. this non-existent nepotism yeah. but like it's not even like nick fury senior trained him right <laughs> you know and so i would fully believe that nick fury senior was involved in strike and its creation way back when right but if they make it look like nick fury jr was involved in this creation he hasn't earned that kind of trusted from me. <laughs> okay. He he's much more brash and he's not as calculating as mm. Fury Senior is. Okay. He's very much the soldier boy. He'll bend yeah. rules and he right. has cool tech, but he's not the scheming wheels within wheels. Right. Uh, I have these other things going on that you don't know about. That's gonna make it so I win. That right. kind of stuff. He's mm-hmm. he's not the he's not the black ops type. Sure. And. He's not even the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like he and Maria Hill and Sharon Carter are all like co-heads of their own parts of S.H.I.E.L.D. Okay, interesting. He doesn't have the power or the history established in 616 to be someone that creates strike. 
sure with yeah, this other that makes person. sense yeah for her to show up from her broken reality to come back and be like hey i'm here let's do this let's keep let's keep the show running right if they connected to nick fury jr i'll be upset it just yeah. doesn't feel like it's it works yeah fair fair and but that's assuming they go with her origin story from the game right. and use her origin story in the comics i don't sure. know if they will but Sometime in 2021, we're going to see a comic introducing Kestrel. All right. Look forward to you telling me how it is. Yeah. I'm not excited. And so this, oh, so this is where my whole like complaint of like timing and introducing and how you introduce characters comes into play. And I've got something on that in Operation Zero Tolerance as well. Excellent. So this is going to be a good sandwich episode. Yeah. So. My personal feeling with introducing new characters is when you have an external source being like, hey, we're introducing this character now. And Marvel has to be like, okay, let's throw a team on, figure it out and just like make it work. It feels so forced. Mm -hmm. And as opposed to when you have someone like Miss Marvel, uh, Kamala Khan, or you have like a Riri Williams, where it makes more organic sense or we have or at least we have time uh getting to know the character before they come become their superhero persona absolutely in the in these we are getting introduced to the superhero persona and then we have to be convinced that we're going to want to care about their arc because this is the person that they are right yeah yeah and so like it's it's the 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 timing and the storytelling is just a little bit different and just doesn't sit as well with me and I, I think in what it is there's no learning how to do what they do and this oh my gosh and this is also part of my problem with how captain marvel ended like mm-hmm. as soon as as soon as carol just decided the, the that movie she captain is, marvel yes sorry yeah as soon as carol decided that this is who she's gonna be she, right she's gonna be captain marvel she had full control of all of her powers right and we're introduced to Arrow and, well, I guess not Swordmaster because he's still training, but like, and Wave and this other little girl who's on the Champions, they all have their powers and they've mm-hmm. just been introduced as like, hey, I've been spending all this time off screen Doing in this thing. world yeah. while all these other events are happening, learning my own thing. I'm here. I'm ready to go. Oh, do you yeah. want to know about the kind of person I am too? <laughs> and so mm, it doesn't feel organic it doesn't feel like it fit into the web well time will tell like these kinds of things get forgotten about origin stories if they're if if they're not mind-blowing but the character's good enough people forget and don't care as long as they right. fit on the team that they're on so right right is what it is so okay Fantastic Four. Yeah. So this planet, 44 light years away, is the planet that Reed saw way back before any of the Fantastic Four happened. He found a planet that was sitting in between two stars that looked like it was an Earth-like planet. And that inspired him to go and create the Marvel One, which is their first rocket, to be like, let's go check this planet out. Okay. So he he was inspired to make faster than light speed travel and he built the Marvel one and then they wanted to go check it out. Mm-hmm. That sort of contradicts just that one story that we read about him being involved with the space race. Right. How that worked out, but it's yeah, not yeah, that yeah. big a deal, whatever. Right. And then on top of that, there's a cameo by Colonel 
Dutchman and Colonel Sanders, they were the original two pilots who were supposed to be on board the Marvel One. Oh, that Sue and Johnny took uh-huh. when they hijacked the Marvel One to go into space. Right. There, there's some really interesting moments in some of these early uh, pages. There's a black box recording that Ben didn't know about, and it has him on the recording, like giving up the controls, even though he's the pilot, right? Uh, because he was mid transformation and his arms were getting too heavy. Cool. And so he just has this like, I didn't do my job kind of guilt. Yeah, yeah. Just, it all just kind of came flooding back on him. Mm-hmm. And for a guy made out of rocks, they do so much with just showing his eyes and like what he's going through. I love how expressive they make Ben Grimm in the comics. And that's always been my biggest wish in in a movie adaptation is find a way to have him believably made out of rock, but still have a very expressive face because Mm -hmm. yeah, such an emotional range in the comics for that character. Yeah. So it starts with them introducing the Marvel one inducted into the National Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. Going and doing that showing inspired Reed to be like, oh, crap, that planet. (laughs) Let's go. Let's go check it out, man. And so they go and they're introduced to the Unparalleled, who is that planet's Avengers. The Fantastic Four are referred to as the Foretold, F-O-U-R-T-O-L-D. And they have basically this like doomsday prophecy about the Foretold that they will come and destroy their planet basically they have a perfect society everything is great they have this all-seeing cosmic eye thing that shows them their soulmate and they also have this process that seems kind of like terragenesis when they come of age they can go through this process to unlock whatever their powers are sure so forth we go and find out that anyone that has a power that transforms them into like a monster or anything they get sent down to low town the head of this place is called the overseer and it turns out he is taking the same cosmic rays that turned fantastic four into who they are and he has controlled them and put them into these machines to go and change people on this planet so right. like they have the same transformation origin type stuff Sure. And the all-seeing eye way back when saw them see them. Like they they looked back at each other. That freaked the utopian society out. And they were like, oh my gosh, they're going to ruin our perfectly balanced society with their foreignness. And Mm. so Mm -hmm. when they're watching them through this telescope, they see them go through these rays, they become powered. And then what are we unpowered? people going to do when these four powered beings show up and so the overseer created this prophecy around them of when they get here they're going to destroy the world and so we need to have our own powered people and Mm. so he creates this whole thing about the foretold and people need to unlock their own powers and train them to get them to the point where we can defend ourselves when the foretold show up okay And so that's now this world's new legacy. Turns out that the Overseer actually amplified the cosmic rays that hit the Marvel One to try to kill them. He tried to keep them from showing up. Spicy. And so it completely negates the accident. Yeah. So Reed 
believed that his shields were strong enough for the rays that they detected. And when they went through it, the rays were too strong and that's what gave them their powers. And so there was always this sense of failure from Reed Mm. that it's like the only time we ever see him miscalculate. As we get this revelation, it sends Reed into just like this, just anger of like, my calculations were right. You did this to me. You Mm. put my family in danger. You changed my best friend for his entire life. You created the situation where my wife has to risk her life through pregnancy twice. Mm -hmm. Like all of this guilt over what has happened because they have powers. He just puts it all on overseer and, and conversations go on. They eventually come to an understanding. And so thing gets kicked to low town and he rallies the troops and gets them like, no, you guys are all just like me. We are just people. We just happen to have a bigger body. Like it's, it's what's on the inside that counts. Look, I just got married to the love of my life and she loves me for me. It doesn't matter what I look like. Right. Didn't tell him that she's blind, but that, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but uh, they're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they all get up. And so now we've created this new different form of utopian society where everyone accepts everyone for who they are. Reed shares his process that he introduced onto Ben, where he can go back to his normal body once a year Yeah, with them. And so the people who want to remove their powers for a year can do so. And it was, it was nice. Cool. What I appreciate about Dan Slott, and this is his fifth volume, so I, I should wow. know this by now, but like. And a long run on um, Spider-Man before that. Yes. A great run on Spider-Man. I should know better, but like Fantastic Four as much as they are about adventure and science and and science fiction they are a family family and first yep. dan slot understands being there for your family doing everything you can for your family and that kind of stuff like at the air and space museum when we see the two majors that didn't get on the ship they like thank johnny and they're like we're families and careers we've had normal lives are you kidding me we could have yeah. ended up looking like like the yeah. thing <laughs> and johnny gets heated for lack of a better term like his eyes start to glow uh, fiery you're right <laughs> as much fun as johnny pokes at ben like nobody will defend ben harder totally than, than johnny and seeing that was just and i love that happened like five pages in because it set me in the right mindset of just like this isn't gonna be some bs story like mm-hmm. let's go for this ride dan knows what he's doing sure let's see where this goes so one of the takeaways from there is Johnny's soulmate is this girl, Sky, who was one of the unparalleled on this other planet. And so when they were looking in the uh, telescopes, that's what she saw. She saw him. Oh. And it's like, well, that's my promised? Huh. What am Johnny's I, what always am I going after that alien booty. So I know, right? Dude, they gave him <laughs> so much. They're like, so <laughs> as soon as they like introduce each other, they're like, so Johnny, is this another like crystal? And they're like, hey, no. It's like, so then another Elijah. Another, it's another Elijah then. Hey. <laughs> so then is this a <laughs> like, oh gosh, where is it? Um, okay, so here it goes. So cool. So this is like crystal? No. Princess Perla, stop. Zaji from Battle World, or and then Skies is like, how many soulmates did you have? He's <laughs> like, listen, just stop. Um, but yeah, so one of the takeaways is that Sky is now on Earth. 
and she's getting used to that. And then just this like kind of rewriting of what kind of happened. Uh-huh. But my complaint about this, because I spent like a day looking for it. This is what, oh, sorry. Pause. <laughs> yeah. The limitations of my house is that I can't have all of my comics on display on bookshelves like I used right. to. Right. Because I would hands down go and find this issue where this happened. But there is an issue somewhere where Reed is given the ability to shape the events of the universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, he's just taken and he like watches the Big Bang happen and he is able to move things around to make sure that some planets don't get destroyed by like a random comet. Right. And he specifically sees the cosmic storm that his family is going to go through. And he's like, wow, I could actually divert this storm and save my family and save Ben from all this heartache that he's had over the years. Sure. But he also knows that without that, he wouldn't even be here. Time loop, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, 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 it's that yeah. and the other thing. Yeah. And so he leaves the storm as is. So then it from there, it becomes... Reed could have stopped everything from happening, but he let it happen because he created, he basically had a hand in creating the universe that they're in now. Okay. Yeah. And then now we have this story where Overseer amplified the cosmic rays that they go into. So like uh-huh. technically both could happen. Mm-hmm. However, comma, it's unrealistic that both of those things would happen. Sure. <laughs> like how many times can you rewrite the same character's backstory? Constantly. I mean, that's I the thing. That's that, I mean, no, no, no. I think that's like very specifically like a strength of comics is that yeah. the, the story happens through the retelling. Like that's why right. it's always so exciting to go see a movie or as long as you're not doing the like how many times can they kill Martha Wayne, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like there's some things where it's like, okay, we get it. But the story I think is iterative, folkloric. It's the repetition is what makes it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So I guess my complaint, I do, I agree with the love of that. Yeah. Um, And, and, you know, new wrinkles, new twists, like, yeah. And in my head, that's what alternate realities are for. Yeah. Stop rewriting 616. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, that's my only like complaint. And that's only because I read so much. Like if I had a chapter that I read, then it'd be fine. Yeah. I mean, a chapter of comics that I read. Yeah. You know, the 10 years, boom, it's been established. I can walk away but I keep on reading every single universe reset. I've gone through like four universe resets <laughs> since I've been reading comics uh, as much as I do. And, you know, that's fine. That's fine. It's a uh, nature of the beast and I just have to like live with it. Like yeah. to your point about like how many different ways can you really kill Martha Wayne? There is an alternate reality Batman where he wants to go and stop Joe Chill from killing his parents. Uh-huh. He's So he's waiting at the top of the alley realizes that Joe Chill isn't going to show up and he realizes that he has to go and kill his parents to make sure that Bruce Wayne <laughs> becomes Batman. But like, so like, is that kind of, is that kind of like random twist that is just like, what? But you keep that to an alternate reality because that's not what happened in Earth Prime or whatever they refer to as. Also, that's just silly. Right. But, yeah. That that kind of stuff is is pretty ridiculous, but that's what your alternate reality stuff is for. Yeah. So <laughs> but yeah, it works 
both of those can happen at the same time. And I tried so hard to find what issue that happened in because I know I freaking read it. And I remember it and I was, I remember thinking it was so interesting that Reed had that much control and he was able to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't know where it happened. It didn't, it might not have happened in a Fantastic Four book is the problem. Because I (laughs) I poked through the issue breakdown of like- Five years worth of Fantastic Four books <laughs> trying to find where this wow. happened. You went deep. Dude, it you... pissed me off. But again, <laughs> if I had my books on display, that would have taken me a day instead of like three days. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was cool. It's an interesting deep dive into a revelation of a backstory. It made it so Reed wasn't, you know, didn't miscalculate. It gave a face to the start of everything and it was it was interesting i liked it uh scream not scream. bad uh are you familiar with beowulf and the legend of beowulf and vaguely yeah so beowulf fights the grendel monster mm-hmm. uh also fights the mother of grendel and that's just like in like norse mythology or well dramatic kind of yeah yeah. so main point is in 616 beowulf is thor And so Thor has fought Grendel in the past. He's also fought the mother of Grendel. We get introduced to the mother of Grendel in Scream. Okay. Um, It's kind of whatever. There's like, as far as going into details, there isn't much to talk about. This is what Grendel's mom looks like. Mm -hmm. Big and red, the fangs you'd expect from a symbiote. So she spends a lot of time complaining about what Thor did to her in the past. And so we get some flashbacks on that. And the way it's written Using really weird words. I think they're pulling from the actual story. Oh, interesting. Uh, Quick was Beowulf brought as day was dawning in the dusk of the morning. Whether God all gracious would grant him a respite after the woe he had suffered. Mighty crime worker, her kinsman avenging and henceforth hath established her hatred unyielding. Like, yeah, there was a lot, a lot of apostrophes and dropping of letters. Yeah. Like Hmong instead of among. It just, it didn't read well, but it just basically just showed how Thor came across the mother of Grendel and fought her. Kind of reminds me of a comic that Matt Fraction wrote a few years ago called ODC. Mm. It's a a gender swapped space version of the Odyssey. Uh And he wrote the entire thing in the same meter that the original Odyssey was written in. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. Dactylic hexameter or something like that. It's just just for shits, really. Yeah, basically. When you're at his level, it's it's probably a nice challenge. Right. (laughs) And then so the way it's narrated, when you flash back to the current time, now has the mother saying, like, lies, all lies, your sonnets are nothing but fallacies. You parasites shall never know what truly happened to me that day. You needed a hero, someone to look up to, to give you your suckling brood hope. It just kind of establishes Thor's Beowulf. But so my other thing is, I don't remember if we've already known that or if that was revealed here. Right. So Grendel was in Absolute Carnage. Mm-hmm. And we've also been introduced to the Grendel dragon slightly before then. And I don't remember if it's been in Thor or not in one of the backstories of Thor. So that's where where <laughs> else I would would have gone to poke around in my comics if they're all on the sure. uh, shit ton of bookshelves. Right, um, right. 
But two other things that happened, we have a series of kidnappings and it's basically setting up Scream's next antagonist and these old people who are going around kidnapping like homeless kids and stuff. Mm. And then we could, we see Punisher up on a rooftop uh, and he is going to take somebody out and we don't know who it is. He has his eyes set on Mayor Fisk, but he's like, not today. (laughs) And then he looks over his shoulder. This is through the eyes of a uh, sniper scope. Right. And then we see this guy, Winston Pendleton. Big donor for both political parties. Sex trafficker. Spreads his money around so his <laughs> pals turn a blind eye to his bad habits. There's uh-huh. been an uptick in missing kids lately. Homeless mainly makes it easy for the police to turn their backs. Now they'll have no choice but knowledge what they already know. I'll make them see. So Winston Pendleton didn't kill himself. Winston Pendleton did not kill himself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But also establishes that if if Punisher was in real life, he would have some things to say about people who don't kill themselves in in jail cells. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) And then we also have Sandman. I wonder. I wonder if. I wonder if Punisher is also like totally full on like QAnon, like right. Like if he's like would go and shoot down a, a pizza parlor to stop the sex trafficking ring uh, in the basement. One would assume the whole pizza gate. Yeah. Given given his track record of how he deals with these things, right. I would say yes. He just you know, hear about this conspiracy theory, read about it online, get really pissed off, go go to Pizza Comet or whatever yeah. it's called. So I will and... say he does do his research. Yeah, that's he, true. He, he does make and sure. And like actual research, not, yeah. the, not you he fucking does, internet Yeah, he doesn't go to the I've website that tells no, him what he wants to. No, three YouTube videos. <laughs> exactly. He doesn't find what he wants to find and then, <laughs> and then gets on with that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so he, he might, he probably, he probably would. <laughs> But so we have Sandman is also trying to stop Pendleton because he has a daughter and he doesn't want, he wouldn't want someone like Pendleton to get his hands on his daughter. So Sandman wants to put Pendleton to justice. Punisher wants to punish him. Right. Scream shows up and wants to save the kid. So (laughs) um, (laughs) basically we see Pendleton going over to a little girl in a sandbox uh, and offers her a lollipop. And that's when the action starts. So Sand- Sandman wraps him up and is like, no, we're going to take you to justice. We're going to take you to the courts. And Punisher's like, you are an idiot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I got no beef with you. I'm taking the sicko in where he'll be brought to justice once and for all. And Punisher's like, by the judges whose wallets he's he pads or yeah. the com- police commissioner whose campaign he personally funded. No, the only ju- justice Pendleton needs is punishment (laughs) okay (laughs) but uh anyway it the scuffle ends with um i'm guessing since it's scream's book she gets out of it with the kid she saves the kid and while she's saving the kid pendleton gets his head removed by castle oh okay Um, yep and so sandman's like damn it well so here's the other thing the make it look like punisher cuts his head off but when it's done, Punisher says to Scream, thanks for doing my job for me. Couldn't have done it better myself. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what happened. It doesn't actually show it on screen. So either right. way, Pendleton died. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't kill himself. We have these other two. We get introduced at the beginning of the issue with these two 
old people who have been kidnapping kids and putting them in their basement. And we end it with those two being chained up. And we have Shriek here being like, hey, I'm the new baddie. So here's my thing about this book. I've noticed, and I'm going to try to keep an eye out better for this going forward, but like, it feels like in all of the solo female title books, the Mm. antagonists are always female also. Interesting. Like they can't do an established bad guy or introduce a new guy that they don't have a history with. Hmm. It's always like if there's ever a new antagonist intro that they don't have a history with already, it's almost always a female. I wonder what that is. That, that can, I suppose that could be a lot of things, but that's interesting. Like we already had the Grendel monster. It already had a story. It's already been on sure. involved in a huge crossover. Right. I don't feel like we needed to introduce the mother of Grendel. <laughs> sure. Like Grendel reports to Null. Grendel yeah. was controlled by Carnage. Right. We ha- why, why use the screen book to introduce the mother of Null? I mean, the mother of Grendel. Right. Like it, it, it adds an extra character and or wrinkle to an already pretty convoluted <laughs> Grendel verse. Symbiote verse. It's what we always needed. Yeah. Right. And it, like it just it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like this happens relatively often, but it's never I guess I've never actually thought about it. Yeah, but like a lot of the Captain Marvel titles, um, mm-hmm. the antagonists tend to usually be women. Miss Marvel, her antagonists are usually women. All new Wolverine, X twenty three, Laura Kinney, right. her antagonists are usually women. Interesting. In, in Arrow's book, in her solo title book, her antagonist is a woman. Yeah, like it just seems like it's always women. And this, I'm not coming at this from a like women can't be bad or like we can't have a woman centric book. Right. I'm, at least I'm not trying to, if that's how I'm coming off, but like, it just seems like a pattern that I, I feel like st- statistically doesn't make, doesn't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It, I could see it going so many different directions. I guess I'd have to read the books to see if I felt like there was a pattern one way or another, as far as like, is this like, they're just trying to have books with more, female characters especially in their like the ones where the hero is is a woman and so it's it's about like you know running up the numbers there or is it about they have a target audience who wants to see conflict between women or is it that there's some like misogyny about like somebody's gonna be upset if you know the superwoman's going around beating the shit out of all these guys (laughs) right i don't yeah and so it could be a lot of different things and you know actually what made me start thinking about this is i saw a tiktok about naruto the anime Mm. and that all of the female ninjas only ever get paired up to fight other female ninjas yeah and the only male who ever got paired up against women won without ever actually hitting them 
Right, because it's it it's a sign of like clear dishonor to hit a woman. Sure, but like this but is a, a this world is, of ninjas. Like, right, fight for your life, damn it! <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit different here. <laughs> so ever since I watched that TikTok, I was like, "Huh, that's kind of weird." And then so right. I come to Scream, and they introduce a new female antagonist. I'm just like, "Well." Right. Okay, and then they could have chosen anyone for <laughs> to show at the end, but right. they went they went with Shriek, and so Shriek. I don't know. It, there's no good or easy way to have this conversation, <laughs> uh, especially as two guys. And there's been plenty of male superheroes, and they are dominated by male antagonists. Right, and so I understand that there there's an there's an imbalance and i right. wouldn't even say this if it was a male and a uh, solo title and we got introduced to a new male antagonist right because that's the way comics have always been and right. that's what i'm used to and, and so like, and again like it looks distasteful when your male superhero is punching the lights out of a woman like right yeah. right and, and regardless and, of whether she's you know like has a laser gun on his head or you know right. like about to destroy all of reality or whatever just like <laughs> it's a panel and you have a you know a big muscle this is, guy that's the headline and, and 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 the other thing is that you know they can't help but draw all of their female characters as these like uh frail sex objects rather than like you know powerful athletic um, yeah. fighters and so yeah the 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 female characters that they draw getting hit by by a muscly man yeah that looks like domestic violence that doesn't look like a fight right i guess it's just something that i noticed it's not it's not really a complaint it's more of a complaint of adding to the rose gallery and the universe when you could like i would have i don't know i don't know i don't really have much of a point i think it's just an observation um i am actually going to kind of look for it going forward yeah but, absolutely and you know. take a look at uh also if there's a, a trend in there if you feel like in individual titles if it's skewing towards one you know motivation or way of mm. yeah yeah let's talk about operation zero tolerance down with ozt yeah. yeah you know me um <laughs> <laughs> sorry I, I had to i had to do it at least once during the pod right <laughs> All right. So I've been talking about Operation Zero Tolerance a lot on the pod because they've been setting it up for a long time. And by setting it up, I mean just kind of like telling you that it's there and it's coming, which uh, I'm going to complain about a little more in a sec. So Operation Zero Tolerance, it's a big crossover event that neither crossed anything over nor was eventful. In-universe, Operation Zero Tolerance is a joint task force amongst dozens of governments to quote unquote control the mutant menace, you know, a sort of final solution for mutants. And it's headed up by a character named Bastion, who the only thing we know about him is that we know nothing about him. I mean, to astute readers, it's pretty clear who he is in like the letter columns constantly, like everybody's guessing exactly right. (laughs) And, And the editorial response is like, I don't know. We'll have to see. He's a real mysterious guy. It's really interesting <laughs> that everyone's saying this exact same thing. So yeah, a couple years ago, and by a couple, I mean eight, <laughs> seven, I guess, because comics move real slowly. The X-Men, while they were living in Australia, so after they 
literally died facing the adversary during Fall of the Mutants. That was like 88. They were brought back to life by Roma, who is Merlin's daughter, were given this uh, sort of magical artifact called the Siege Perilous, which is a door. <laughs> it's just a big magic <laughs> door with sort of vortexy sucking energy going on. You know, you pull it out, you set it up, and then you go through it, and it gives you a new lease on life. It kind of like lets you sort of kind of have a, a new chance, you know, sins wiped away, kind of do something new. It was interesting, by the way, that all of the X-Men at the time went through it, except for Wolverine and Jubilee. Well, I guess Jubilee wasn't a team member yet, mm-hmm. but uh, Wolvie gets, gets no salvation, gets no penance, no deliverance from his sins. Anyway, um, the, the first time they use it, was when they're fighting Nimrod and the Master Mold at the same time. And they they just use it as like a garbage disposal. They're like getting their asses handed to them. And they're like, this is the only chance. They set up the door. Rogue just like plows into them, pushes them through the door. And uh, Rogue shows up later in the Savage Land with Magneto. And you don't hear about Nimrod and Master Mold again and then several years later this guy bastion shows up and he's dressed exactly like a nimrod (laughs) (laughs) Uh and everyone's like who could this possibly be and he's both of them he makes sentinels he he yeah so he can turn uh and there's also like a bunch of tech involved or whatever but All of the agents of Operation Zero Tolerance are humans that have been transformed by nanotechnology into mutant killing robot sentinels. And so so this has been, like I said, this has been teased for a while, right? Like before they were setting up the Onslaught storyline, they were setting up our Operation Zero Tolerance. And Onslaught was the crossover for the year before this, for 96. So, you know, this has been going on Mm. since like, 95 and it's just bastion showing up in like a a dark smoky room and being like it's time and then somebody being like yes well we're handing you over all full authority of the entire government (laughs) and so technically operation zero tolerance as a government policy has been in effect for a little while but the last thing i mentioned a few pods ago there's an issue of X-Men where they are all captured by Bastion in a big, big aircraft thing and brought back to a Hulkbuster base. Yeah, so that brings us up to sort of the start of the event. It opens on uh, J. Jonah Jameson, who is on uh, sort of full patrol for any information about Bastion. We've seen him kind of jump in and out. Of, of this a few times already his angle he's anti-superhero but he's pro-mutant and it's kind of interesting to to parse out the difference because superheroes are vigilantes right they like they decide to go and enact vigilante justice and it's about like secrecy and unaccountability whereas mutants it's a civil rights issue they don't have they don't have a choice over having powers it's not the powers that he's not you know that he's against it's the superheroism and i think that is like a real key difference of why mutants are so interesting in general to me anyway but um earlier in the storyline he sent a reporter out to learn about graden creed 
Graydon Creed was the um, anti-mutant bigot founder of the Friends of Humanity organization, son of Mystique and Sabretooth, and also one-time presidential candidate until he was recently assassinated. Weirdly, <laughs> weirdly, the, the assassination was not the inciting incident for Operation Zero Tolerance, which is like, what the hell? Like, mm. you think that, like, you... <laughs> You assassinated the front runner of yeah a major of a presidential election, and the reaction to that is a bunch of people like, "Oh man, we got to get those muties." I sure hate those muties, and not like, "Okay, this task force that's been you know assigned under law, like we're going full steam ahead with it. We're rounding up mutants." So it's just like the whole the whole event is so politically discombobulated, like. Hmm. It because there's uh, I was looking up this like uh, because, you know, we've went through four years of the Trump administration. You've seen a lot of things shared on social media about like what is fascism? How does it happen? How does it come about? What are the 10 stages of genocide? You know, I've got I pulled it up right here because I know I'd seen it before. Classification. People are divided into us and them. OK, well, clearly mutants. They did that a long time ago. Symbolization, people are forced to identify, it never happened. Discrimination, people began to face systematic discrimination. Never, I mean, kind of, like if you're visibly a mutant, like you're shunned from society, but if you're not, there's no like way of of sort of enforcing that. Mm. Dehumanization, people are equated with animals, vermin, or diseases. Yeah, the legacy virus kind of made that very clear, so check organization government creates specific groups police slash military to enforce the policies check operation zero tolerance polarization government broadcast propaganda to turn the popular against the group never happens preparation official action to remove slash relocate people never happens persecution beginning of murder theft of property trial massacres <laughs> never really have there's like a couple like lynchings of mutant children like the sort of matthew shepherd the the, the gay kid was killed around the same time and that was a big story in the real world. But it's not like a, a large scale thing in this. And then, so it goes straight to step nine, extermination, wholesale elimination of the group. They literally just go straight to like sentinels operating as death squads, hunting down random mutants on the street and gunning them down or, or trying to gun them down in plain sight. Although they never actually kill anyone. But, you know, it's like giant evil robot monsters operating in the street without any of these steps of like, delegitimization or broad public you don't well we have no idea you get no sense of how the public feels except for like random bar scenes of like there's something on the news about a mutant and everyone's like oh we hate those muties and then wolverine's at the bar and be like you want to fight about it bub you know and that's like that's that's it that's 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 like the entire like look into public discourse vis-a-vis mutants so it's a mess. Uh, Jameson's arc is, I guess, finished in, um, there's one issue of this that I haven't finished yet. There's like a, a giant size special where Venom is contracted by one of Bastion's friends in the government to go assassinate Jameson. So yeah, that's uh, really random. Real random, but he's not seen in any of the rest of the crossover proper. Uh, so we never find out, you know, he has this like epic confrontation with Bastion. He's like, I'm going to get to the bottom of you. I'm going to figure out who you are. You know, there's no files on you anywhere in the world. And I'm turning down like your 
offer to crack down on mutant superheroes and you know you're the real story you're the real problem here i'm suddenly a man of principle yeah that just is never followed up with in the crossover property even though it starts the whole thing it literally the very first scene so let's see i'm just going to go through this arc by arc because there are a lot of them so like i said nothing crosses over there's just like each title has you know follows their own characters essentially while they're just running away from Sentinels. (laughs) Sentinels. <laughs> it's just like every single arc is like so and so run away runs away from Sentinels. Like Generation <laughs> X. On the last pod, I was talking about how they got teleported from the former site of Krakoa to LA. Um, mm-hmm. They hang out with Skin's ex girlfriend, who turns out she's also a mutant, and they all run away from Sentinels together. And then the the side arc of that is Jubilee. Uh, mentioned, you know, she's been in captivity, captured by Bastion a few months ago. You know, they're trying to like interrogation and she's, uh, you know, won't crack, won't crack, etc. She gets help from sort of a kid who's working for Operation Zero Tolerance and is apparently not a Sentinel. This girl named Daria busts her out and then she catches up with Wolverine and the X-Men in their arc, which happens in the Wolverine title. They bust out of Operation Zero Tolerance, immediately, within one issue, they're out of the bunker. And then they spend like three more issues just like wandering around in the desert, hanging out with this guy named Mustang, who got turned into a Sentinel and doesn't know it yet. And then they have to fight him. Oh, and then they go and bust up the like facility where they're turning people into Sentinels. That happens in like half an issue. And there's like three and a half issues of them just sort of hanging out with this guy, not, you know, involving themselves in the crossover. Also, Uncanny X-Men, almost nothing to do with the crossover, except for the introduction of Maggot who yeah he's a uh, south african guy whose digestive system is two indestructible slugs he names eeny and meeny they can eat anything and they have some sort of effect where they like when they eat enough he turns blue and i think he might have like super strength when he does or something like that oh i didn't so i remember when he first came out when you had that comic yeah introduced him and I thought that it was only blue when he had the maggots inside him. That might be it. And the, the, it's not because I remember a small oh. maggot being blue also. Okay. But like that, I think that was your takeaway from that issue when you showed it to me. Yeah, it's it's really poorly defined so far. He's, <laughs> they're, 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 they're leaving him with a sense of mystery. He had a scene where like after the slugs ate a bunch, he's like in the bathroom and he's like, yeah, we did it. This is awesome. Like, I'm like being a superhero. Like, this is what I always wanted. This is sick. And then the slugs kind of slither up and he's like, oh God, girls, I guess it's time, isn't it? And then they like come up right next to him and he starts like sobbing and freaking out. So hmm. there's something up with him. I, I don't actually know what it is. We're getting close to the point, which I stopped reading as a kid. So <laughs> <laughs> let's see. So he's introduced in Uncanny X-Men. He's hunting down Joseph for some reason. We're mm. not sure why yet. They both uh, have and white hair. Yeah. He's kind of following Joseph's steps from when Joseph was introduced in the last couple of years. And then the rest of Uncanny X-Men is The Trial of Gambit, which I'll get to probably not this week. Um, (laughs) The main arc happens in Adjectiveless X-Men, 
And it starts with Cecilia Reyes. She is a Puerto Rican doctor in the Bronx, like uh, emergency room doctor. And she's operating on a gunshot victim. And then it turns out that they're a sentinel. You know, she, she pronounces them dead. They wake up, they try and kill her. Her powers are when she's under attack, she manifests a force field around her body. And she's not interested in the, the superhero life or being out as a mutant and her powers, like she's not under attack that much. So like <laughs> she can, she can live in the closet. She prefers it that way. I love Cecilia Reyes as a character. I mean, you know how I, all I want is for mutants living normal lives. I'd, I'd prefer that they'd be out, but I like that she is a completely like outsider take on this whole thing. Like mm-hmm. all of these sort of genre conventions and in-universe things that the reader sort of takes for granted. She's our window from the real world into common sense of like, wait, yeah, this is insane. <laughs> like this is all outrageous and she's got a great voice. It comes together really well. And so she's attacked by Sentinels. Iceman pops up. He quit the team recently, right? Because his dad was at a Graydon Creed rally and stood up and was like, hey, you can't go about hating the mutants like that. Mutants Mutants are people after mostly being a bigot for most of Bobby's life. You know, he stood up for him that once, got the absolute stuffing beat out of him, nearly died. Bobby quit the team to take care of him. He's recovered enough and situations dire enough that Bobby jumps back in and he comes across Cecilia just because this was an assignment that Xavier gave him. Like they all know underground mutants or closeted mutants. And, you know, once upon a time, Cecilia's powers activated. Xavier did his thing where he finds her on Cerebro, makes an introduction, says, hey, uh, you're a mutant. I can offer you, con- you know, I can, yeah, I can offer you control of your powers. We have a school. You will probably have to join my paramilitary operation of child soldiers, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we look out for each other. And Cecilia is like, this is nuts. You're insane. I don't want any of this. I'm studying to be a doctor. I've got a good thing going. Let me live my life. And Xavier's like, cool. Awesome. Like if shit hits the fan, then we'll make sure you're looked after. And that was Bobby's assignment. So he Mm. sees that Operation Zero Tolerance is in effect. The X-Men are captured. Everything's like going haywire. And he's like, I'm on Cecilia duty. And so he stops the, the fight. And then they go to Angel Warren's, you know, penthouse loft go see if he's around they're not because they're dealing with all that crimson dawn stuff although they appear literally not long after and while they're there they come across charlotte jones warren's ex who is a cop mentioned her on the last pod she's like hey i'm here to help it's cool bring i'll bring you into the police station we'll file a report get your statement everything's taken care of it'll be okay cecilia but surprise surprise her son is kidnapped by operation zero tolerance and so she sets them up basically Ah. and then they have a big set piece fight in the police station marrow for some reason is around oh she was introduced as part of the event earlier she had in the 
J. Jonas Jameson issue. She had a fight with Spider-Man. She and Callisto were, <laughs> this is so dumb. She and Callisto were going to assassinate Henry Peter Gyrich, who's the national security advisor and is a notorious anti-superhero. He's he's basically the G-man, you know, like the yeah. anytime anytime there, there's a government stooge who is gonna be a villain, it's Henry Peter Gyrich. In any <laughs> for anybody, hates the Avengers, hates the mutants. Just a real lovely guy. And so Marrow and Callisto are going to assassinate Gyrich. Callisto the whole time, like, don't do it. It's not a good idea. I'm here hanging out with you. Like, I'm not stopping you, but don't kill this guy. Just don't do it. And Marrow's like, nope, gonna do it. And then Spidey stops her. Callisto gets shot. Because it turns out Gyrich's security detail are sentinels. He didn't know it. He shoots them, but they shoot. Callisto. So Callisto's horribly wounded and, you know, is begging Marrow not to let vengeance take over her life, yada, yada, yada. And so kind of setting up her redemption arc because she's been introduced several times as a villain and as just an absolute crazy terrorist. Like she was going to blow up a good section of New York with a bomb that was strapped to her heart and, and Storm literally pulled out her heart to stop her. It's okay. She has two hearts. Because she's a what? mutant. This is a mutant physiology. Oh, okay. Yeah, that happened a while ago. <laughs> so they also keep drawing Marrow like more and more attractive as she gets closer and closer to being a hero, which is problematic. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. So Marrow cuts the power at the police station and Reyes and Iceman escape. She meets up with them. And then that runs straight into the Sabra arc. Sabra is a, an agent of Mossad, which is the Israeli like CIA, basically. And she's a mutant and she's uneasy about Operation Zero Tolerance. So she hacks her own government files, gets info on Operation Zero Tolerance, which she claims is going to shut down the whole thing and flies out to the States and meets up with Marrow and Iceman. Turns out, <laughs> turns out that, that the, is the comic fucking, that is the ultimate comic sentence. Turns out. <laughs> this broke my brain. This made me so sad. The, the information that she found that was going to take down Operation Zero Tolerance, you know, the earth shattering news was the fact that they kidnapped Charlotte Jones's son. So you've got death squads, literal fucking death squad. You, you're, you're turning people into robots, taking away their free will, having them rove the street as death squads, killing people indiscriminately, you know, attacking journalists, trying to assassinate Jameson, literally assassinating his reporter, murder, genocide, whole nine yards. Nope. Child kidnapping. That's what we're going to bring him down on. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> what the actual fuck? Did you... <laughs> this makes no sense. Listen, everyone loves a bleeding heart story. <laughs> a child was kidnapped. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, that yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Um, that's what she went like public with? Or, uh, like... She never got the chance. Uh. So the end of the arc is... Uh, okay. <laughs> so... So this runs into the Senator Kelly arc, which is the first time he shows up at all within the storyline. 
he's hanging out at his wife's grave because his wife was killed by some evil mutants in the 80s. And he's like, man, this Operation Zero Tolerance thing isn't right. I'm going to make you proud. So there's there's no moral struggle with him because he he's he has the most interesting standpoint in all of this in that he is the the liberal pro genocide guy, right? He's not the frothing reactionary Graydon Creed guy. He's the super ego. He's the well-rationalized, well-intentioned, like, look, this is going to be a problem for the human race and we have a right to defend ourselves. And, you know, I'm sensitive to the concerns that these are people with rights and we'll treat them humanely, but something has to be done. Registration, camps, yada, yada, yada. Or registration, which is inevitably a slippery slope to camps, which is as... I laid out in the 10 steps towards genocide. (sighs) So we never see him struggle. We never see him change his mind from the start. He's nope, this is a bad idea. And then it takes him the entire, like he kind of pops up for like a two page scene in all of the different titles so that you know that it's happening, but there's no development. There's no like progression because all of his appearances are just to let you know that he's part of the plot. And so it takes him until the very end of the crossover to tell the president, president tells shield. And all of a sudden GW bridge has a helicarrier and they're like, Nope, no more operation zero tolerance. It's done. Like Iceman and Bastion have this climactic battle and uh, it just ends on this complete anticlimax. Like, they, you know, they have their climactic fight, but that's not the end of the story. That's just the fight scene that you end the movie on. And right. it's full on Deus Ex Machina, Deus Ex Helicarrier. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that's it. It's all over. And the S.H.I.E.L.D. troops show up pretty much simultaneously in every single title in their completely disconnected plots to let you know that it's all done with. Mm. So... I spoke about Iceman and Bastion's climactic battle. Really awesome to give Iceman the the hero moment at the end. This is a really cool end to his multi-year arc where like several years ago, he was body snatched by Emma Frost. They like switched bodies while Emma was in a coma. She like psychically reached out and she's like, I don't want to be in a coma. I'll take this body. It, it wasn't conscious like that, you know, it was, it was right. more subconscious, but it, she didn't want to be in Iceman's body. But while she was there, she was using his powers in all sorts of ways that he never even dreamed of the whole, like turning your body completely into ice, going into a body of water and shooting out somewhere, you know, on the other side of it, or, you know, the sort of hulked up icicle spiky Iceman image, like all of that only started after the Emma Frost possession. When he was like, oh my God, I'm so powerful. I never even knew it. I've been holding myself back and, you know, I need to like really explore my powers or something. It, it's a cool arc because it goes from that into, he goes with Rogue. They visit dad. Dad's a bigot. Dad gets jumped. He leaves the team, yada, yada, yada. So this whole arc is about him sort of, he thinks he needs to find himself in terms of his powers, but really he needs to find himself in terms of responsibility. I he has ADHD and you're never going to convince me otherwise. He can't hack it as an accountant. <laughs> anyway, huge tangent, but great. Bobby. Yeah. Bobby total. Totally as an accountant. ADHD. Yeah. He's an accountant. 
Yeah, yeah, I yeah. This. He, he in several years in like after leaving the X Men in the seventies, right? Like when Krakoa and the new team is formed, and he's like, nah. I'm done with the X-Men. I'm just going to go try and live a regular life. His parents want him to live a very, very regular life. So he trains up as an accountant. I think he gets his CPA. I'm not sure. I think he was doing accounting for the Jean Grey school in Wolverine and the X-Men, Jason Aaron's run. But anyway, uh, he just gets bored. Like he's like, this sucks. I hate being an accountant. And he just can't stop himself to go off and, and be superhero again. So he like joins the champions and then the champions fold. And he's like, okay, I guess I, fuck, I guess I'll go back to being an accountant. Shit. He does that for a little while. And then the defenders recruit him. He's like, all right, I'm a defender. Fuck this. I'm out. And then like the defenders fold. He's like, ah, crap. Accounting, accounting for me again. And then X Factor <laughs> comes together. He's like, all right, I'm in. So interesting. I didn't know he ever did an accountant thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I love this for Bobby and and it makes him such a great pairing for Cecilia because he's tried to do the normal life and it doesn't work for him, but it Mm -hmm. does work for Cecilia. And so they're a great contrast for each other. Anyway, Iceman also uses his powers in new ways during the climactic fight. That's a really cool way to like use superheroing and powers as a metaphor for character development he makes an ice clone to dupe bastion in Mm. the middle of their fight get the upper hand i thought that was cool anyway after the climactic fight marrow's like why don't we kill bastion right now he's right here we could kill him (laughs) and iceman gives the fucking line that is so tired He's like, because maybe that's all that separates people like him from people like us Uh, yeah and it's like Okay, maybe, but also there is a difference between murder and genocide. Like there is a real difference. And well, I'm not okay, saying so, that you can happen? just like go at the end. So he's yeah, like, but like, this is like 96, 97. Yeah. So it wasn't a tired line at the time. No, it was. <laughs> okay. It was. Trust me, I've been reading all of them. <laughs> oh, just trash. Boy. Uh, like I said before, it's not a competent or interesting genocide. And that bugs me because it doesn't give us anything to learn about from real world genocides. Mm. It, cartoon villains don't give you the practice or opportunity to recognize and oppose believable evil in the real world. And it especially comes to a head in sort of these conversations with superhero ethics, where we talk about ends justifying the means. You know, the, the way that so much superhero media and not just superhero media, but like all media with clearly defined right and wrong. They try and make compelling villains based on their motivations, their justifications, what they're trying to accomplish. But they're always handed the villain box because they do something inexcusable, right? They kill somebody. And I think that leaves us really poorly equipped to recognize in real life when there are real life villains who have terrible intentions for the world. And right now, I'm sorry to to go on blast in, in the podcast that you share, but I'm thinking specifically about the situation in Israel and Palestine right now, where, you know, Palestinian neighborhoods, you know, you have settlers going in and taking over people's homes who live there and they're calling it like, oh, this is, you know, eviction. This is, you know, they're breaking the law. They're, you know, this is all legal. This is all legal under Israeli law. Of course it is. This is the believable genocide. Like this is this is the one that 
is happening by the book and on purpose and in a way that that they say, okay, well, yes, we did airstrikes in Gaza, but it's all self-defense. They shot their rockets at us. And it's like, yes, you can talk about all of your means in a way that's justified and justifiable, but you're part of a multi-decade project to displace the Palestinian people from their homes and create a religious ethno state. Like that's the villain shit. And media gives us no practice in recognizing that arc, that angle of mm-hmm. things. That's that, that's why you were going over like the steps. That's why I was going over the steps in part. I mean, also like, I mean, you think about like the, the rhetoric against immigrants in this country over the last, you know, very long time, but sharply in the last four years, you don't have like, ice is not the same as prime sentinels going out and killing people in cold blood you know like they're not like investigating and rounding up you know mutants who are living peacefully and arresting them in the sort of quiet and non-gun shooty manner you know what i mean Mm -hmm. everyone who they want you to identify as a villain has a gun in their hand and is shooting it in all media (laughs) and it hides from the fact that we're living in dark rain. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, oh, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's my, my main thing that I have to say about Operation Zero Tolerance. A couple more things just, just to cross them off the list, make sure I get through all of it. There was an arc in cable. So also at the start of Operation Zero Tolerance, Bastion infiltrated the X mansion. Nobody was home. Everybody's out on mission. Went in, took down the defenses, downloaded all of Xavier's data, found out about the Cerebro files, all of the closeted mutants. That's how he found about Cecilia. Wasn't able to translate the Xavier protocols from Shi'ar. So he couldn't find, figure out the secret of how to kill all of the X-Men. Uh, yeah. Okay. But he was working on it. And given time, he would have been able to. So Cable goes back to the mansion and to infiltrate, smoke them out, get the data, purge it, but maybe keep a backup or something and get out of there. They're also holding Caliban hostage in the mansion. And so he gets Caliban out. And once again, I just love childish Caliban. And it really is striking that despite the fact that, you know, Cable has been the mentor of all of X-Force for six years now the only like tender parental sort of relationship he has with any character is with Caliban I thought that was really cool Mm -hmm. let's see the last one is X-Force I have a note here you were right Warpath doesn't need the suit (laughs) but it turns out it's uh, but it turns out that it wasn't the negative zone it was the dark force dimension and the person that he's there to retrieve for Sledge was Vanisher, who goes through the Dark Force dimension when he teleports. And he just like, one day he was like, I want to, you know, I've always just passed through here. I want to take a look around and see what's here. And he gets stuck. And so it's like, uh, he gets stuck. Oh boy. (laughs) I love Vanisher. What a pathetic character. Yeah, Uh, I liked him in 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 X-Force. He was fantastic in that. And yeah, so I can't believe his name is fucking Telford Porter though. For the teleporter, yeah. yeah, abysmal. 60s, what have you done? Um, <laughs> at least, <laughs> no, I don't know, it's not even at least, but the fact that they're doing it with his first and last name. 
Yeah. Right. Like <laughs> usually it's the last name. Yeah. 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 Telling. Uh huh. But first and last. Uh huh. Oof. <laughs> So the rest of X-Force arc is, I mentioned in the last one, they they had that standoff with Operation Zero Tolerance where Danny Moonstar and the rest of the Mutant Liberation Front were trying to do some sort of hostage situation with bad intel that they were fed by Operation Zero Tolerance. And X-Force went in to get Danny out. And in the process... A couple members of the MLF and Domino were captured and Danny, Siren, Forearm from the MLF and Sunspot escaped. And then separately in the van outside the standoff, Operation Zero Tolerance captured Richter, Shatterstar and Meltdown. So they all got captured and then in the X-Force arc, they are, you know, fighting and escaping Prime Sentinels and setting their friends free. So they get out. And then, uh, oh, Domino, the Prime Sentinel who had beef with her, Griaznova, did some sort of surgery on her to take away her luck powers, we think. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so they meet back up with Cable. Cable's like, okay, Operation Zero Tolerance, it's going crazy. We are going to have to lay low. I have fake identities for everybody. So we're going underground. And everyone's like, no, we're good. Like, (laughs) We can handle whatever comes at us. You've trained us well. We're done with this. We're, we're parting ways with Gable. And so Richter and Shatterstar leave the team completely. Danny, Boom Boom, Bobby, DaCosta. And I think Domino stays with them. I, I'm not sure if Caliban's part of the team anymore. I think he... Oh, no. Caliban got kidnapped by Apocalypse. Ozymandias showed up. Oh, right, right, right. And was Ozymandias showed up and was like, Hey, I'll take Caliban off your hands. And I'm going to mess with your mind cable so that you think that he's safe with a friend. So nobody, no, none of them know where Caliban is and he's been captured. Anyway, and the rest of them leave cable to do their own X-Force things by themselves. So interesting uh, new status quo there. And then, yeah, I'm definitely going to leave the trial of Gambit for next time. Because <laughs> I want to pair that with a retrospective on Scott Lobdell because he leaves X-Men after being the main creative force after like six years. Oh, sorry. One last tangent. Okay. New, char- new characters and timing. So, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So this crossover introduces Mero as a member of the team, reintroduces Sabra, her first appearance as a character since Contest of Champions in the 70s or 80s or something, just barely a character before this, and completely introduces Maggot, and Cecilia Reyes. Okay. There's way too much going on. Like, <laughs> how how do you That's have a lot this, of new characters? It's a lot of new characters all at the same time, not having the same path into the X-Men, right? They all like are joining for very different reasons. And it's just so messy to try and do it in the middle of this bloated, incoherent crossover. And One of the things that you were saying about Arrow and Wave and these characters who kind of show up and they're like, oh, by the way, in case you wanted to know more about me as a person and like my backstory, hey, you want to know my backstory? (laughs) It's interesting to me that so many of the characters that had very mysterious backstories for a very, very, very long time have been fully revealed. Magneto, Wolverine, Gambit, 
And I'm just wondering if that's not a thing anymore. Like, I think we yeah. have maybe different cultural expectations towards privacy or something like super, like secret identities aren't really a part of most like Marvel movies, you know, Tony, right. Tony Stark just outs himself as Iron, Iron Man, Man immediately. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting cultural thing. And I'm wondering if, if this expectation that there are big mysteries about characters that we won't know for a long time, if that is just not a part of the superhero genre anymore. Yeah. And like, for example, you know, we still don't know Forge's real name. Really? Yeah. No. Yeah. Are you serious? I'm totally serious. Fuck you. <laughs> no. Like, like for the longest time, we didn't know Rogue's real name. You know, we didn't know Wolverine's real name. Well, we all, well, those everyone assumed it was decades Logan. And decades. It, yeah, everyone, everyone just called him Logan. But like, not, not, no last name. You didn't know if Logan was a first or last name, you know. Yeah. But you all serious? of the characters that stayed in regular publication eventually had their big reveal and all their backstories trudged through not forage he dropped out a regular publication and as a result we still don't know his name i'm legitimately looking him up right now (laughs) try and find it i don't think you can notable aliases maker and genesis Mm -hmm. no what (laughs) he's been a character since 84 yeah his Wikipedia page is long enough that you have to replace your finger on the scroll mouse. <laughs> and he doesn't have a real name. They've never seen it fit to print. You're kidding me. <laughs> He's Cheyenne, trained as a medicine man, primarily relied upon technology rather than mysticism to accomplish his tasks. Referencing Forge and his elder, Naze, made Forge leave his past behind and join the military. But like, <sighs> right? Like, Rogue... You know, they introduced her around the same time and they didn't bother revealing her real name for like two decades plus. Mm-hmm. Wolverine was introduced 10 years before that. Same thing. He was <laughs> Ford served in the Vietnam War. Uh-huh. He raised, he raised through He's the a ranks, good character. Sergeant. He like he has a he clearly record. has a real name. Yeah. It, yeah. You, you, you could find it. It's not hard to find. It's just that nobody cares. No, no, he. <laughs> I'm what? so glad I got to blow your mind at the end of this pod here. I'm kind of wondering if we should just just end it here while you're sputtering. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so upset, dude. So I've I've been <laughs> I've been thinking about Forge lately. Super random, but I binge watched Rick and Morty. Oh, nice. And Rick is like the Forge of Oh, that's so universe. true. Yeah. My, so for people who don't know Forge, at least my understanding of Forge is he has this mutant ability to invent and create anything he wants. Yep. Like if he can think of it, he can make it. Yep. It's literally what Rick does in every single episode <laughs> of Rick and Morty. Uh-huh. And like he just slaps things together and now all of a sudden the dog can talk. Like, yeah. <laughs> and like every time, every time he does something new, I think of Forge and I'm just like, <laughs> man, he's kind of like Forge. <laughs> but I know Rick's name. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so, that's so obnoxious. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. So um, Donna Vex next week. 
I'm thinking Donna Vex. Okay, um, I'll do a little at the start of the pod. I'll do a little bit of time with the trial of Gambit and a retrospective on Scott Lobdell as the main creative force on six years of X-Men. But yeah. Okay. I have, so there are about 18 books before Empire Okay. that I have just chronologically on my shelf right. as far as what I'm going to read. And I need to get through on top of that, another seven volumes of Dawn of X. Okay. Before Empire. Because Empire is included in the X-Men titles from Empire are in Dawn of X's 12 and 13, I think. Okay. And we've read through six. You want to go like seven, eight, nine? Seven, eight, nine. Seven, eight, nine. I just, I want, I want to, I'm so, I, I just want to read it so bad. <laughs> okay. Seven, eight, nine. Seven, eight, nine. And Next then. Next week. We'll probably focus on that, but if we read some other stuff, then it'll be like the quick breakdowns. And who knows? 79 may not even be a giant size issue. We'll see. Yeah. I know it will be, but there's, there's <laughs> always the chance. There's always the chance. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, that was fun. That was some fun conversations. Yeah. Yeah, we really went for it today. This is going to be a, a real beast to edit down. I know I'm not talking about more things because I, I think we could spend an entire episode talking about how characters are introduced. It's true. The 616. Yeah. On, like on the, the plus yeah. side, I have nothing more to talk about for Operation Zero Tolerance ever. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> cool. All right. All right, man. Well, um, I will catch you next week. Sounds good. Where's uh, the outro music going, though? Yeah, I think we're just going to put the outro music no. here. Okay. <laughs> Always a surprise. <laughs> I don't know why I make a thing. Okay, cool. Let's take it easy. <laughs>